How's it going, men of God? Welcome to the men's global live stream. I want to welcome you to session three uh, of our series, Push and Pull, where we've been unpacking the tensions that we live in as God's man, right? When we have seemingly opposite or callings that are at odds with one another. And so far in the journey, we've looked at uh, the rhythms of being and doing, how the Christian life is not simply intake and consumption and experience without uh, emotions, and, and nor is it action that's, that's separated from that. It's both and. It's where our life of, of our doing grows out of our being in the time that we spend with Jesus. Uh, last time, we looked at the rhythm of following and leading. We challenged some of the lies that, that sideline us as leaders as though we're not, we're not equipped to lead. Or that leadership is something that will come to us later in life. Or maybe that we're so equipped we don't need to follow. We also looked at the truth that it is really our primary job to prepare the next generation uh, to carry God's word forward. And that so many of the opportunities we have to lead are, are really in the relationships that God has already placed us in. Today, we're going to look at the unique rhythm that helps you and I balance our approach to, to living on mission for Jesus. We're going to look at the rhythm of staying and going. And if, if our goal is to understand and then to discern what God's will is for our lives and then to live that out powerfully, God's man is going to have to be able to decide when do I stay and when do I go? And how will I know if I'm, if I'm staying and I'm enduring in obedience or if I'm just remaining in fear and apathy? And how do I know if I'm moving out in faith and trust or if I'm just rashly running ahead of the Lord when he's called me to stay? How do we know? Well, we're going to start off by looking at the rhythm of, of staying. And to kick it off, we're going to look at God's word at a miraculous healing and then the surprising call to duty uh, of a man who was once possessed by demons. So we're going to pick the story up in Mark chapter 5. If you want to follow along this morning, grab a Bible. Now, at this point, Jesus and his boys had just arrived in the region of uh, Gerasenes, and the disciples have just witnessed Jesus calm the storm in Mark chapter 4. Right? Then they, they get to land, Jesus hops out of the boat, and immediately he's confronted uh, by a man who's possessed by an evil spirit. We're going to see by many evil spirits. This dude lived in and among the tombs and was no doubt completely tormented by evil. Now, picking some, some of the information that we read from this account in Mark chapter 5 and also in the Gospel of Luke where it shows up in chapter 8, we actually learn a lot about this guy. Some of the things that we read going through those two accounts are that one, he had been in this situation for a long time. This was not a new norm for him. This was pain that he had been living in for seasons. He wore no clothing, had no community, and lived more like an animal than a man, the scripture says. Now, according to Jewish custom, to touch a dead body was unclean. Now, this man lived among the dead. We see that he had supernatural strength, even breaking chains that were placed on him to try to restrain him. And we see that he was tormented, self-destructive, and alone. Now, I'm sure that he hadn't always been this way. Hopefully, at some point, he had had a family that loved him friends and a community, that he had been in his right mind at some point. Now, we don't know when and we don't know where, 
But by reading this account, we know that at some point evil took over. Evil took hold of this man and began to control his life. And we see some things that evil does, even as we look at the life of this man. Right away, we see that evil separates us from everything and everyone that we love. Evil seeks to isolate. I don't know your story. I don't know where you were. I don't know who you were when God found you. But all of us can see the attempts of our enemy to get us just like this man in the story, to get us all alone. 1 Peter 5.8 says that we're to stay alert, to watch out for our great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, you've all seen the shows on Discovery Channel. You all see how lions hunt. They seek to alienate, to separate one member of the pack or the herd or the pride. That's how he operates. He alienates and then he attacks. That's why you and I need one another. Last week, we talked about how vulnerable you and I are when we're alone, but how much power we experience from God's Holy Spirit and the presence of our Christian brothers. So the enemy wants to isolate you and I, but we also see that the enemy seeks to give us a false identity, to remove what's true and then to implant a lie. Now, the enemy had convinced this man that not only was he not God's son, but that he wasn't the son of any human being. He convinced him that he was an animal, implanting a false identity. And Satan whispers the same lies to us. Maybe not that we're animals, but certainly that we're not God's children, not worthy of his love. Or if we've sinned after we've known Jesus, that there's just no road home because we sinned knowing the truth. Right? The enemy has to start eroding our identity as God's men before he can implant lies that will then seek to take over our lives because we know our identity drives all of our action. So in order to steer us off course, the enemy first has to get at God's man's heart. He has to attack, attack who, who God's man truly is. It's the same way that he came after Jesus in the desert, right? If you're really God's son, he's going to do this. If you really have his power, you'd be able to do this. He has to erode. Guys, thirdly, we see that evil will always make us self-destructive. Just like the man in the tombs who cried out in anguish and cut himself. Everything the enemy offers you and I is a sugar-coated poison apple. It's bait on a hook. It's death disguised to look like life. It's hopelessness. Until enter King Jesus. Let's pick up this story in chapter six of Mark, uh, uh, chapter five, verse six. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Even in the middle of his demonic rage, outside of his right mind, we see something beautiful from this tormented man. As you and I seek God's will, this week, as we're looking at, Lord, when do I stay and when do I go? We recognize our first step is always the same. Just like the man in the story, the first step for both our obedience and our healing is towards Jesus. We move towards Jesus in faith. We run to the Father. Even while Jesus was a long way off, this man saw him and then ran to meet him. It reminds me of the prodigal son. 
where we see the son a long way off and the father running to meet him. It's beautiful. Even in his brokenness, in all that pain, even with the oppressive evil that's both without and inside of him, this man took the first right step towards Jesus. And before you and I decide to board a plane and go to spread the name of Jesus, or before we decide to buy a plot of land, hunker down and stay to make him known, as we seek to discern God's will and God's plan for our lives, we need to run to Jesus first, always. He is our destination. And what was the result that we see for this man as he ran towards the Heavenly Father? Look at verse 15. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been, past tense, possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. The man was healed in his right mind, going back to his identity as a human, as God's son, and the people were afraid? Why? Because the only thing scarier than a legion of demons is the man who can command them to do whatever he wants with a word. Jesus. Beautiful, wonderful, and terrifying. But I want you to notice something. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Of course. I mean, out of appreciation or awe of the power that had just freed him, being drawn to the love of this man, Jesus, this dude now wants to be where Jesus is. It seems obvious then that the response from Jesus would be, of course, let's go. Let's go take this message around the planet. But that's not what he said. Verse 19, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. What? How could it be God's plan for this man not to join him? Can't you imagine the impact he'd have on crowds, especially those who had seen him? But apparently the call was to stay. Guys, results, outcomes, even the decisions that seem really obvious to us beg God's man to remember. When it comes to our lives, discerning whether to stay or go, to us is obedience and to Jesus are the plans and the results. You and I, we own obedience. Yes, Lord. And Jesus owns the plans, the hows, the wheres, the whats, and the results of those things. Our job is just to say yes. And then in humility, trust that the God of the universe actually knows what he's doing. Guys, we also see an incredibly important truth here. You know, once we've experienced the majesty of God's love, once we've tasted and seen how good he is, once we know the truth, our eyes have been opened to the truth of the scriptures, we need to start spreading the good news right where we are right where we are. You and I can be used most mightily by God, influencing the people who already know our stories. <clears throat> the impact of this man's life was so incredible because the people had seen him before Jesus. They knew what he was like. And the transformation was undeniable. When it comes to the rhythm and the obedience of staying, God's man has got to recognize this. Our greatest opportunity for influence is to begin with the real 
and personal relationships God already has us in, right where we are. Our family, our best friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our business partners. These are the places that God wants to begin building his kingdom through the obedience of our staying right where we are, right where we are. 1 Corinthians 7.20 says this, Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Stay. Share. Caveat, if the work or the hobbies or the pastimes in your life before Jesus were ungodly and unholy when he called you, get out. God is not calling you to remain in a sinful occupation or a dishonest or a harmful occupation. That's not what this passage is trying to convey. What it's saying is if you were a businessman when Jesus Christ found you, he might be calling you to remain as you were, to reach every businessman for Christ. Now, I'm not saying that he won't or that he's currently not calling you to step out into a life of a full-time ministry of spending all of your hours making him known or into some drastic changes of scenery for his glory. But there's no such thing as the Christian who's not in full-time ministry. I want to challenge that thinking for you a little bit today. It's just the ministry of what? The ministry of fatherhood? Of being a husband? The ministry of being a coach or a teacher or an attorney or a surgeon? Stay as you were, it says, in order to win those who already know you to the good news. If Paul says that he sought to become all things to all people, that he might win some, doesn't it make sense for us to begin just as we are, right where we are? Guys, we get this in business, right? If you start a new company, you move to another company, you get into a new market, who do you call? You call the people that already know you, who's done business with you in the past, right? Who knows the kind of man you are and who trusts you. This is where we begin. What if we took that mindset into sharing the good news? Start with the people who already know you. Start with your, your, your hot contact list and reach them with the good news. Let's head back into the scripture. Verse 20. So after he asks and Jesus says, stay, it says, so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Guys, write this down. <laughs> Fill, fill this in. The greatest fruit in your life begins with simple obedience. Faithful with little. Just saying, yes, Jesus. And look at what God did. This man just said, sure. To the rhythm and the humility of staying. He didn't drop out of school and go to seminary. He didn't move to Africa and start an orphanage. He didn't sell everything he owned and head to the poor side of town. Those are all great and beautiful things that God might be calling you to. And in faith, you need to respond. But he also might be calling you to stay where you are. Just like he called this man to stay right where he was. And the man just said, yes, that is the God-honoring rhythm of staying. And it's so beautiful. Because this man's response, we just see the right heart posture. He had been freed by Jesus. He wanted people to know Jesus, to be with Jesus. He wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. So God directed him to where that was supposed to happen. He just responded 
in faith. This guy didn't just want God's stuff. He didn't just want the, the healing that he had experienced or the power. He just wanted to be with his Savior. And so Jesus said, yes, that's the heart that I want, and I'm putting it to work in the spaces and places that you already are. Now, that doesn't mean that God's man is always called to stay, to hunker down, to only minister to those that he knows, to only stay in the places that he's comfortable. Because if that's the case, the Great Commission was pointless. Head backwards in your Bible. Let's go back to chapter, or to Matthew, rather, in chapter 28. We've seen the life, death, and miraculous resurrection of King Jesus. He spent time with his boys. He's prepping them for his departure back to the Father in heaven. He reminds them that all authority on heaven and earth was given to him by the Father. And then he says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Therefore, go. Don't stay here. Move. Leave. Go. Head out because the entire world needs to hear the good news about the resurrected King. Guys, in this we see a beautiful truth as we bridge from staying and going that the heart that stays does so to make Jesus known, just like the heart that goes. Whether we stay or whether we go, that's up to God. To us is to share the good news. Guys, look at the rest of the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Guys, this is one of the most explicit and beautiful passages on how, on why, on where, we're supposed to go. It informs all of those things. And right away, God's man sees that his going is not just for going's sake. God's man's move out in purpose. God's man goes to make disciples. We have an intended purpose to our movement. We're not just trying to log miles or see this beautiful world that God's created or have some type of a casual, you know, evangelistic leaf lit throwing effort. We're called to go, and then we're called to see results, expect results, that disciples would be made. Discipleship is the goal. It's actual. It's measurable. It's messy. It's exhausting. It's time-consuming. It's life-on-life ministry. We're not just trying to move out and move people to emotion or that people would experience or feel something only. We want discipleship. We want this kind of discipleship. John 8, 31. You're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. This kind of discipleship. Luke 9, 23. Anyone wants to be my follower or disciple, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Or this kind of discipleship. Romans 12, 1. I plead with you. Offer your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he'll find acceptable. Faithful sacrifices, giving themselves up, remaining faithful to his teaching, disciples. This is what we're trying to invite people into. Whether we stay or go, this is what we want to see created. Not people who like Jesus, 
or even agree with or admire him. People who submit to him and call him Lord and Master and Savior. Those who decide that Christ is their very life. That's our purpose. That's why we go. And where are we supposed to go? Well, according to this passage, to all nations. To all nations. Indiscriminate. Regardless of our own safety, without regard to cost, time, or whether or not it's convenient, the hope of Jesus Christ must go around the planet to every man, woman, and child, period. And guys, this can be inconvenient, confusing, lengthy. Heck, this can be scary. This could be dangerous. People are aggressive. People are dead set in their ways. This world is a dark place. It's interesting, isn't it? That God calls you and I light. According to Matthew 5.14, it says you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Light only has value in the darkness. That is, in fact, why light exists. It pushes back darkness. It illuminates. So if we're truly the light of the world, we can't be surprised that God sends us to dark places. That's why we carry a light. So the darkness can be exposed, pushed back, that truth and light would come, that the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ would be exposed and expressed, just like we saw in the passage with the demon-possessed man. The power of Jesus was unleashed in his life, freeing him from the bondage of the enemy. And he was never the same. The same is true of you. The same is true of me. We are new creations in Christ. And look at many saw and believed because of what God did in this man's life. I wonder where would he have been if Jesus had not decided to go. If Jesus had just said, I'm going to stay in Nazareth. Where would this man be? Where would you and I be? Lost. So let's go boldly out in faith to the darkest corners of this world to push back that darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. And we don't ever have to be afraid. You want to know why? Look at the end of the scripture. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, boys, don't forget this. In fact, be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end. Look at what God promises. Not just peace, not just the absence of problems or the presence of his plans. He offers a better promise, the promise of his presence. Our God is with us. Emmanuel, we sing it every single Christmas, but it's true every minute of every day. Our God doesn't send us out like so many other leaders do, alone that we could accomplish something for him. No, like a loving dad or a good general, he goes with us. I'll never forget when my kids first started surfing with me. I remember them fumbling around with the board and the insecurity and, and, the, and the fear. I remember their first wipeouts, the first time they got held down for a decent amount of time. 
but I also remember their first waves, their first turns, and just the eternal stoke that belonged to them after that. And there was a moment when each of my kids paddled out into surf that was bigger than they were, right? Overhead, as we call it in the surf culture, surf and waves that are literally taller than you. And we paddled out in the lineup together in these times, and I was always shocked by their bravery. I still am. Heck, my boys will paddle out in a surf that sketches me out a little bit now. But I remember one of my kiddos having one of those sessions, paddling out in bravery, dropping in on waves that for them were mini mountains. And I remember getting out and having a conversation, and I asked him why he wasn't afraid. Why that he was willing to paddle out into surf that was bigger and stronger than he was when he was still such a novice at surfing. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and matter of fact, he looked at me and said, because you were with me, Dad. Because you were with me. My presence provided peace that could not have been given to my son from the sand. And that's what our God decided to do with us. He said, I'm not just sending you out in my name. I'm going with you. You'll be with me, Dad. And so I don't have to fear. Scripture says so many beautiful things about our God's promise to be with us. I'm just going to read these over you. I want you to just listen to these and know that these are true of you in your life, in your current situation. Genesis 26.3, I will be with you and I will bless you. Exodus 3.12, certainly I will be with you. Deuteronomy 31.23, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I will be with you. Joshua 1.9, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isaiah 43.2, when you pass through the waters, all the surfers are saying amen, I will be with you. Acts 18.10, I will be with you and no one will attack you or harm you. Hebrews 13.5, I'll be with you all the time. 2 Corinthians 13.11, the God of love and peace will be with you. Those are the promises we grab onto. From the time we were this big in church, we've been reciting John 3.16, that our God loved us so much that he did what? That he came to be with us. God proved his love by coming to us. But brothers, you and I will be called to demonstrate our love, our loyalty, and our devotion to Jesus Christ, and it'll come in our staying and our going both for his glory. And I don't know what God's calling you to right now. God might be calling you to stay in a marriage that seems hopeless. He might be calling for you to be the anchor in your house, to serve your wife just like he served his church, giving himself up for her to make her holy. God might be calling you to stay in a community. So many people are taking their proverbial Christian ball and running home to Florida, Texas, Tennessee, insert large density of Christians in a conservative state here. But God might be calling you to remain, to be a light, placed on a stand like a city on a hill, to be a beacon of hope in a world that desperately needs Jesus. God might be calling you to stay at a church, not to tolerate sin or heresy in your leadership, but to allow and overlook the imperfections of the church, recognizing that everything I see in the church, I also see in my own heart, and maybe stepping into serving in the areas that your church needs help. You know, it's become so common to sit back and critique the church, 
to discuss all the problems, never realizing that we could be God's answer in some of those solutions if we stepped out in obedience, just chiming in. And I think sometimes we forget we're speaking to Jesus about his bride. And we shouldn't do so carelessly. So the Lord might be calling you to stay and endure in faith. But he might be also calling you to go, to step out. I graduated from Point Loma Nazarene University with a degree in psychology. And through prayer and discernment, I felt genuinely as though the Lord was calling me into the ministry of business. There weren't many business people in my family. They're mostly involved around education and medicine. And I, and I felt genuinely called towards business, to be a light, to try to produce wealth and put it back into the kingdom, to share my faith. I even had the incredible opportunity over 15 years in corporate sales to pray for individuals to receive Christ in my office next to John Wayne Airport in Southern California. But then something happened. About eight years ago or so, the Lord started speaking to my wife and I, calling us out of our season of staying into a season of going. He spoke to us clearly through prayer and fasting. He affirmed it through the wisdom of people that he had placed in our lives uh, and led us to a passage of scripture that encouraged us so beautifully. I want to share it with you. Matthew chapter 14. Now, Peter's mind had just been blown because he watched Jesus walk on the water. But Peter's not content. He feels the call to go deeper. Like so many of us, he doubts the calling. The boat feels safe. Maybe he can't even trust. Maybe he's not supposed to get out of the boat. Is it God? Or is this just my own heart? Are these my desires, Lord, or these yours? And he's just sitting there wrestling in the boat. Jesus is out walking on the water. Peter longs to be with him. But like Peter, we just need to ask because God wants to reveal himself and his plan to you. He doesn't want your staying and your going to be a confusing puzzle for you to figure out alone. Now, I'm not saying God wants to explain himself to you, but he does promise to reveal himself as we draw close. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28 Peter's question echoed my wife and I's own heart perfectly. He said, Lord, if it's really you, call to me and I'll come to you walking on the water. My wife and I said, Jesus, if this is really you, tell us and we'll go. We'll leave the security, the familiarity of a great job surrounded by people I love. We'll leave the freedom and comfort of a steady Paycheck, the autonomy of being able to solve our own problems financially. We'll run towards you, Jesus, even if it means stepping out onto the waves. And we went. For two years, we were privileged to work with an organization uh, working in South America, loving on abused and abandoned children, equipping widows with the job skills they would need to support themselves, pushing back darkness. I had uh, the opportunity to travel the country sharing our story, raising funds. I got to see the work firsthand in Peru and Paraguay several times, and it was amazing, and it was beautiful. And then the Lord came calling again. Out of the boat, Dusty. Come on, Nicole. It's time for you guys to come with me. Wait, 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 wait. Lord, you did. You called us, remember? We, two years ago, we got out of the boat. We left corporate America, we got, we got into the, the ministry thing, and, and what we're doing is amazing, and, and Lord, James 127, remember? You're the one who said pure religion was caring for orphans and widows, so what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And we learned something 
that I pray encourages you. We learn that to say yes to go is not saying yes to a specific location or a specific calling. It's just saying yes to Jesus and whatever he wants. So he moved us again, this time into the beauty and trials of local church ministry. I was no longer traveling, no more nonprofit work. We still had that deep compassion and care and love for the fatherless, the desire to protect the widow. But in his infinite wisdom, our God knew exactly what he's doing. And now it's been four years since we said yes to joining our home church full time. And it has been amazing. Challenging, frustrating, incredible, beautiful, life-giving, tiring, joyful, exhilarating, so much more. And you know what? I don't have any idea where God is going to send us in the future. I only know this. The very best place to be is right in the center of God's will. And I don't know if you're supposed to stay or go, but he does. We quote Jeremiah 29, 11 to each other often, encouraging each other to get through tough times, saying that, you know, don't worry because there are plans to prosper you, good plans for hope and future. That's what's coming. And I think we miss the point of this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 starts off saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Full stop. <laughs> Brothers, take heart in this. The Lord, your God, knows what he's doing. He knows the plans that he has for your life, and that's enough. Whether we stay or whether we go, he knows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men listening. God, I thank you uh, that we get the opportunity to join you in making you known, Lord, and sharing your love with the people of this world. Lord, I pray that if it's your calling that you would make us men bold enough with enough faith to stay, to remain in the places that you've put us, that we might be used for your kingdom and that you'd make us men who are humble enough and faith-filled enough to go if that's the calling. But Jesus, you know the plans you have for us and we choose to trust in that. I pray your blessing over these men as they discern rather uh, your will and your perfect plan for their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you next time.